Hello, you are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. There have been efforts going on for some time related to people embracing their aging process, especially as they get into their 60s and enter retirement. One of the terms related to this development is intentional aging, but the term I have just recently learned about and will be the subject of this episode is saging. I learned of this practice from one of my guests for this episode, the Reverend David Blackman. Saging is an approach to growing older developed by Rabbi Zalman Shachter Shalomi. He and Ronald S. Miller developed this approach in their best-selling book, From Aging to Saging, a Revolutionary Approach to Growing Old. With me to help us understand saging are my guests, Gene Marsh, and David Blackman. After retiring from the corporate world in 2005, Gene received a Master of Arts from the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology, where she was first introduced to saging. Gene brings 27 years' experience in corporate human resource and management training and development. She currently serves as coordinator for the Saging Leader Certification Program with Saging International. Jean is also certified to administer and consult using the Myers-Briggs Personality Type Indicator and facilitates connecting with self and saging workshops in the Asheville area as well as partnering with other saging leaders throughout the country. After working for 20 years as chaplain and ethicist for Mission Hospitals in Asheville, North Carolina, David Blackman became coordinating pastor of First Baptist Church Asheville for 12 years, then entered semi-retirement in 2021. Presently, in addition to his work with saging, David serves as a chaplain in the healthcare facilities of Western North Carolina. Well, welcome, Gene and David. Thank you so much for being with me today. Uh, why don't we begin uh, by letting you each uh, tell your own life journey a bit and, uh, and also particularly how you came to be involved with saging. Uh, so who wants to go first? Well, I'll, I'll go first since Gene just pointed at me. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I uh, was living through a long ministry in chaplaincy work at Mission Hospitals in Asheville and then had the opportunity to go and be the associate pastor or coordinating pastor at First Baptist Church in Asheville. And towards the end of that time, uh, when I was uh, breaking open into 62, imagine that, I had the opportunity to uh, do a last sabbatical and had run into this term then, eldering, and was curious about it and started reading, uh, spoke to a friend about this term, even had an opportunity to go on a retreat at Mepkin that got canceled due to COVID uh, around this idea of intentional aging. Had read Ron Pevney's work on intentional aging and some of those kinds of things. So uh, I started looking and found Reb Zalman's book on saging and delved into that as well and got to this point where I said, well, you know, I, I really need to figure this out of what it really looks at and ma managed to find Saging International. And lo and behold, uh, Gene Marsh was in Waynesville 
you would think someone who was doing Saging International would be, I don't know, in Tibet or somewhere like that. <laughs> uh, but she was in Waynesville, North Carolina, which was very helpful because we could call and talk. Uh, and um, came a point where I really signed on for the uh, year-long certification process really as an opportunity to really say to myself uh, after uh, retiring from First Baptist, okay, I am stopping and just giving myself uh, a year to just simply learn and reflect and not get busy about the next career choice or the next uh, rebooting of uh, ministry. And so I allowed myself that chance to do that and really consider myself kind of in the beginning stages of uh, what does saging look like in my life and the expressions of my day-to-day ministry. Um, so that's, that's where I am, and I I'm, I'm really consider myself really in those early beginning stages. And I'm curious as to what that'll mean uh, in the years ahead. Jean? Well, I was 61, David, when, when I first was introduced to saging. I had just been um, retired from my career at this financial institution for 27 years. I had survived many, many mergers, and I, this last one, I just didn't make it. And so I decided to just leave uh, that organization and go back to school, which is what I did. I I went to the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology, and one of my assignments for a course in human development was to read the book From Aging to Saging. I initially was thinking of going back home to begin a a workshop for uh, elders after experiencing my mother's uh, illnesses and situation, that was my intention. I'm my background is in training and and uh, education, and so uh, after reading that book, I noticed that there was an uh, a mention of the Spiritual Eldering Institute, and that I could become certified as a saging leader. And I thought, wow, this book, this is this is already done. I don't have to create anything. I can just uh, uh, join Saging International, which is what I did. And after a few years of working in, at that time I was in Dallas, Texas, uh, working um, with many uh, organizations and uh, uh, churches in the area, I was asked to become the coordinator for the certification program, and I've been doing that now since the year 2011. Okay, well, thank you. Well, so now tell us a little more fully about what saging is. Saging is a process. The, the word was coined originally by Reb Zalman. Uh, Reb Zalman was the, uh, the leader of the Really, though, he was on the cutting edge of the conscious aging movement back in the 80s. And uh, he uh, just by himself uh, was uh, at age 60, was noticing that things weren't just the same anymore. He was beginning to slow down. He was a workaholic. 
he'd traveled the world. He was in touch with many of the religious leaders of the uh, world, the Dalai Lama, the Pope. He was into uh, studying all the various religions, Catholicism, Buddhism, Sufism. Uh, as, uh, and so he was noticing that he was slowing down, but uh, he just didn't know what was next for him. And so he went off on a, on a retreat, an extended retreat. And it was during that time that he, he had this vision uh, of spiritual eldering. This was the name of saging um, originally, was spiritual eldering. And, and so he traveled the United States many times with Ram Das, And uh, during that time, he, he saw that people were um, living in a box of unlived life. And so he, he used this uh, description to uh, show how once people have retired or they enter the second half of life, they look ahead and they don't like what they see. Diminishment, death. And so they turn their backs to it. They back into their future. And while they're backing into their future, they're facing their past. And they don't want to look at that either because of regrets or forgiveness work that they haven't done. And so they, uh, uh, Reb Zalman uh, started this spiritual eldering institute to help uh, us uh, become... Uh, aware of the importance of facing our mortality, of doing that work and doing the forgiveness work so that we can step out of that box of unlived life and be fully present. And so he, he uh, as I said, he started this Spiritual Eldering Institute to train people to continue to do these workshops and to help people become aware that they have that, that that this time of life is the fulfillment. It's it's uh, it's not all over for all of us. It's it's the time of growing inward and looking inward and looking for our own wisdom. And I don't know how much longer you want me to go on. Well, here, no, go as long as it takes to help us understand. <laughs> it's saging is really a process of doing that inner work, of finding our inner wisdom so that we can then share that wisdom, share our gifts with, with um, the world. And as Reb Zalmans uh, used to say, that, that um, in the past, people knew what their, their there was a script for uh, when we were in kindergarten and when we were growing up. There was a script for us when we, you know, went off and went to school and raised our families. And, um, but then once you retired from your career, what was, what was next? And so the other, um, maybe Native Americans, the indigenous uh, people, they knew what was next for them. They were the elders who sat in council. But uh, that wasn't true for us here in the United States. And, and so uh, this was an opportunity. The saging process was an opportunity through life review, going back and looking at our past, uh, not, not to feel bad about anything, but to 
look for the wisdom. What did we learn from that? What, what were the uh, lessons that we learned? Uh, because that's what wisdom is all about. It's reflecting on our past experiences to learn and to grow from them. So I'll stop and see if David wants to add well, anything I, to that. I, I want to kind of build on that because of, of, of kind of where I jumped off with my experience um, of we're, we're so involved especially in our 40s and 50s, in a role, uh, whatever that role is. And they're all good roles, you know, whether it's teaching or ministry or business or whatever. But those roles uh, really just kind of overwhelm uh, some of the voices in our life, I think. And this season in which we step away from whatever the primary role is, uh, offer us a, a completely new opportunity to say, so what is my gift in the world? And our gifts in the world earlier may have been around our careers and raising children and those kinds of things. But this offers the opportunity to perhaps bring a new wisdom. Uh, And so for me, uh, what that's meant is doing a couple of things. And these come out of Ron Pevney's work, but they also, we've heard them before. Uh, this season in which we really let go. We say, okay, I'm done with this role. I'm going to let that go. I'm going to set it aside. It's been good. You bless it. You see the uh, good, the bad, and the ugly of it, but you set it aside. And you really welcome yourself into what is completely countercultural, and that is some kind of liminal space where you're simply waiting. Uh, I think the most powerful image for me that, again, is from uh, this work by Ron Pevney is this chrysalis. You're in this place that is completely not where you were, and you're waiting. And you're asking, not asking even, you're waiting for this other place in you to emerge. And certainly chrysalis opens into this new creature that is literally new. It's not a caterpillar. It's not whatever the chrysalis was about. It's something else, and there's some mystery to that, and I'm not even sure uh, I have a sense of what that is for me at this point, but that inner work, that inner journey, is the pathway to a wisdom that the world may or may need and may welcome uh, that is more saging than me sitting and thinking about so what are the eight things I can do next week to improve the world or improve myself or it's a different kind of work and one quite frankly I don't think we invite people to do as much uh, in in our our country and maybe even in our spiritual communities we don't invite people to stop and begin this work and then see this work as a path that leads into perhaps a new gift uh, for the world. So I'm curious about that, and I'm curious about what others say as they say, yeah, I, I set out on that path, and here's where I ended up. And, and even that is not kind of an end in itself. It's just it's where they are at that, po- that point. And there's some risk with that too, isn't there, David? Yeah, you, you, you know, the easiest thing, I, I tell people this, and, and we've all seen this in, in the, our own lives, the lives of friends, the easiest thing to do at uh, the end of a career is to simply reboot and do 
another version of that career, that family, that whatever, uh, and just do that all over again. And it feels familiar. Uh, it may even lean into some of your strengths. But I think taking the risk of not doing that and taking the risk of actually simply opening yourself to the holy and wondering and sitting with and seeing what unfolds, uh, that, that's kind of where I am. Uh, every time I start to say, get busy and grasp hold of something that says, okay, whatever it is, you know, get that project going, I remind myself that there's also the opportunity to simply wait and that there's some wisdom in that. Uh, and there might even be something completely new in that. We'll see. Well, you talked about um, this journey into looking inside. Um, so what are the means and the tools that you all use to take people down that path? We call them contemplative tools. And I don't know, I'd, I'd rather use the word practices. Uh, tools sounds like there's a, a kit somewhere <laughs> that I need to have at my side. But uh, and, and those practices are things like journaling, meditation. And even with meditation, there are so many different ways of doing that. For Reb Salman, he found that just sitting in, a, in his warm bathtub was a, provided an opportunity for him to be at peace and to be at quiet and to quiet his mind. Uh, there's a quite a, a movement today in terms of mindfulness, uh, and and that's that's another practice where where we focus on what's here in front of me right now, and and that is is I think gaining more importance in my own life in terms of being okay with whatever is in front of me right now, because there's a lesson there. And, and so meditation, uh, even just sitting, petting your cat, you know, sitting, sitting quietly, quieting the mind is a, is a good step. Uh, s- other practices are maybe movement, like Qigong or yoga, where we where we focus and pay attention to the here and the now, uh, there are many others. Uh, but uh, these uh, uh, Reb Zalman had a wonderful practice uh, that he uh, instituted in his workshops, and it's called spiritual intimacy. And when somebody would come to a saging workshop, we we practice that where it's uh, we put people into share pairs, and uh, I might say, David, what is your heart's deepest desire? And David would talk. And I would keep asking him that question until our time was up, and then he would ask me that question. Or uh, there are many different ways to do that, but that's just a taste of some of the spiritual practices that we have because that's, uh, uh, I know uh, for an introvert, journaling is very easy. It's just part of their personality to be reflective. Uh, for the extrovert, it's very difficult and challenging. But uh, it's it's um, 
important that we try on different practices and see which one fits us best. I know um, one of the things that that helped me as I uh, wandered into this this journey of saging was some wonderful people out of my Christian background, though you could go into any spiritual tradition and you would find these same characters uh, inviting uh, silence, inviting waiting. You know, I think of Cynthia Borchot's work on centering prayer uh, and those kinds of uh, practices, daily practices. Um, I think of uh, finding a soul friend or a spiritual director who sits with you and uh, makes this journey of how how is your soul opening up uh, to the sacred, uh, to the now, uh, to the the next uh, question uh, that the holy might ask or prompt you to take a step, take a risk, take a, a part in the journey. I think about wonderful um, communities that gather for worship in their own tradition and invite people to connect with their ground of being that, in, again, uh, moves us away from this, this dependence on our, our skill set and our, um, our careers and those kinds of things and invites us into a quieter kind of pondering uh, of life. Um, so they were, they were really all around me. Uh, and then I got to bump into new people who uh, were living into some of these expressions in different ways, which were also uh, inviting. Um, the key thing that I think saging uh, offers and I think various communities have the opportunity to offer is this invitation to simply stop and take this inner work seriously and take it seriously as a day-to-day work and not a every-now-and-then work. Um, And that in and of itself will put you within range and within reach of someone else, maybe another uh, wise elder who asks a question, and that prompts you to take another part of your journey. So those are the, those are the things that I, I don't think they're complicated. I don't think they are um, out of reach for anyone. Uh, any, there's no sp- kind of serious training in the sense of only a very small minority of people will ever do these things. They're, they're really quite within grasp of, of anyone uh, who can find a community or a, another and enter into this kind of commitment uh, to do this inner work. And I think to circle back around to what Gene said at the very beginning, that is the foundation of, of the verb saging, is doing this inner work and then seeing where that inner work leads individually and within your own soul, but also within whatever community um, you serve and live and breathe and also receive um, love and care from. Well, is there... Um because I'm, I'm, are there two different kind of paths? Um, 
the one for the person that just kind of personally is wanting to involve themselves in staging where they take various workshops uh, and then the certification path or is it all the same thing and are the are the the is there a sequence I guess if I take the first workshop then what's next or is it an all-encompassing one-off workshop kind of thing we have an introductory workshop called Awakening the Sage Within. And it's an introduction to saging. We have others that follow that. And they, are, they lay out the, the, uh, some of the topics that we've already talked about. The, um, what is your image of aging? Who are, who are you as an old, older person? And who do you want to be? Um, life review, life repair, forgiveness, facing our mortality, doing our philosophical homework. Um, James Hollis is a Jungian analyst, and he says that we don't really enter into the second half of life until we start asking the questions, who am I? What is my life purpose? And so we look at our lives, uh, as David described so beautifully, that, that we take that pause and, and look at our values and look at our passions and uh, get in touch with who we are now and what gifts may, may have been down another path when we went to the right, that, that other gift was on the left, and we didn't explore it. And so now we take that opportunity. Uh, it also provides us an opportunity to think about the legacy that we want to leave to those um, to our families, to our children, what are the values that are important to us, and are we living them? And how can I share these gifts with my family, with my community, with others? So that's uh, that's the um, those are the kinds of things that we talk about in in our uh, introductory saging workshops, um, and then uh, we offer webinars uh, uh, that 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 are just wonderful. In fact, uh, today. And one of our interns is is uh, offering a workshop on compassion and neuroscience and how our our um, our sense of being compassionate people and beings how that affects us our 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 own uh, neurological system. The um, the other part of your question was uh, many times people attend those workshops and they get inspired to because they've they've wanted to lead groups of people of adults in these topics uh, they were like me <laughs> this is the structure is already there and and so uh, they might might ask to be certified as a saging leader now the saging leader that we look for is somebody who is not a sage on the stage telling people this is how you do this? <laughs> little 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 rhyme there. <laughs> no, it's a, uh, we're elf looking, on the shelf, stage <laughs> on the stage. Yeah. But what we're looking for is a guide on the side, somebody who's on that journey with everyone else, and we don't we don't even pretend to have the answers. We just uh, look to ask the right questions and to put people into 
they don't want to listen to us. You know, they, they want to talk. And so many times people will come up to me after a workshop and say, thank me for this opportunity to talk about things that we don't always have an opportunity to share with one another. And that is, you know, our feelings about death, our forgiveness uh, uh, efforts. And so um, the subset of saging would be that saging leader who is certified to use our materials and to use that, that um, work that Reb Zalman started back in the 80s. So uh, uh, just a couple of kind of one more practical thing uh, and then one that reflects about how Saging International has approached uh, this. When, when I, I bumped into the book and then found Gene way over in Waynesville, um, and, uh, you know, I said, well, okay, the first step in all of this for me is to do Awakening the Sage Within. I thought, oh, my God, how do you do that in the middle of COVID and things like that? And I ended up uh, being connected with the Ollie Center in Raleigh and uh, did Awakening the Sage Within on Zoom. So I immediately met people from all over the state of North Carolina uh, that I would never have run into. And uh, the process uh, was structured and allowed me to begin this process of, of, of speaking out loud with other um, older adults about these particular issues. And it was clear that the, um, there was both the technical support to do this, but also that the, the saging leader who, who guided our process knew exactly where we were headed in this conversation. Now, that, that's the underscoring of this. I have been to all kinds of workshops where people say, well, now I know you're all adult learners, so just break in here and ask me questions. And then they proceed to talk for 45 minutes to an hour, and everyone just glazes over. They go to sleep, and they didn't learn anything or learned very little. Um, these workshops were structured in exactly the opposite way. At most, the leader would speak for five minutes on a topic, and immediately people were put into pairs or smaller groups to begin having these conversations themselves. It didn't mean there wasn't content to be learned, but we can all sit and read a book. We can all sit uh, and look over uh, deeper content to learn something. What it meant was that there was this community right in front of you uh, this soul friend right in front of you that if you took the opportunity to tell these stories with, you started doing that inner work. And, and I think you, you open uh, to the process, wherever it leads you, whether it leads you to just appreciate that you've done awakening the sage within and now you're going to live differently because you're pondering these questions or whether you go through the certification process because you want to invite others uh, into this conversation as well. So um, when you're out there on your own, uh, growing in this process, um, what are you, you, you talked about uh, gathering wisdom and coming to understand that. Um, 
what do you do with it? Uh, how do you how do you share the wisdom? Just last week, uh, I had a luncheon with a gentleman who is just re, uh, he works for the YMCA here in Black Mountain, and he's organizing a wisdom circle at the Y uh, for people to come together and to sit in a circle and ponder and talk about some of these issues. Um, he's not a saging leader, not certified as a saging leader, but he's he's uh, been to Ron Pevney's uh, retreat. And he uh, wants to continue his own journey and share it with, with anyone else who's interested. And many people who attend our workshops go home and do the very same thing. Okay. I think that's a, that's a great example of, of um, kind of the, the contrast to Zoom, which Zoom's been such a, a good resource for all of us in so many ways. The contrast is, is this kind of wisdom circle. And, you know, whether it's in a church, um, at First Baptist, we've got a, a, a growing group of people who are trying to figure out how to be a wisdom circle. There's about 20 or so people who attended Awakening the Sage Within. And how do we continue to have these conversations? Uh, how do we continue to sit with one another and also ask ourselves, where is this leading? But doing this at a YMCA, uh, what a wonderful opening to people who might not be a part of a particular religious community or tradition or who just work out there and really love the people there and decide, oh, my goodness, I'd love to talk to these people about uh, not just how my body's working but, but how my, my soul is beginning to unfold. So I, I think how we do this is exactly this kind of creative uh, engagement of the community. And, and the, what a wonderful idea uh, – what if every, I'll have to ask Paul Vest about this. He's over YMCA of Western North Carolina. What if every YMCA uh, in Western North Carolina had a wisdom circle and we were imagining elders and elder uh, sages uh, kind of folding out of that to go do whatever work there is in the community to be done? Well, I, I liked uh, in the book, from aging to saging. Um, it talks about what a sage can do, and it listed three things. Uh, that a sage helps us redirect from selfishness or selfish short-term thinking to long-term planet care. Uh, it talks about by a sage's presence in the family and community uh, shows us how to grow beyond our over-reliance on materialism uh, by cultivating inner lifestyle, and then to model for others how to put quality of being before standard of living. Y'all want to reflect on that a little bit? Well, let, let, let me let me narrow the focus a little bit because for for uh, about how it started to unfold with me. One of the places that I was really interested in saging was the overlap, because I experienced this, the overlap between uh, when you get to the end of a career and you enter into this third third of life, and those who are more my children's age in their 30s uh, and late 30s who are really kind of caught up in that second half of life, uh, well, it's end of the first half of life, however you want to do this. But the overlap there where uh, 
the opportunity uh, when you're 35 and older is to know and be aware that this turn inward is coming. You can either do it or your soul will do it for you. You will develop all kinds of symptoms and, you know, you, you, we all know about those. Um, so for me, that's one of the opportunities here. What can a sage do? A sage can simply be aware that this is how life is structured. This is how soul life is structured. And engage a group and say, here are some signposts to look for. Not tell people where to go. Not tell people what to do. Or even tell them, here's the wise way to do it. My dad used to say, well, what you ought to do is, (laughs) and my children laugh at me if I ever say that. Um, But to just say, here's here's a path. Here's a trailhead that's going to open up at some point in some way for you. Be ready to consider what you want to do with that trailhead. Uh, I just wrote my kids, this is probably, I don't know if this is wise or not. I just wrote my kids a five-page letter and said, here's where I am in all of this, in all of this work of kind of my own journey. And here's a copy of Jim Hollis's book, Finding Meaning in the Second Half of Life. I don't know if you read, need to read this or not. You might. I've read it about eight times. So here it is. Do with it as you will, but just know that these questions are coming one way or the other. And I think saging offers the opportunity to not demand that of anybody, but to say, you know, like trying to land a plane, waving your arms and saying, you got to land here at some point or another, this business of living life with the engines on full and you're circling, it won't work at some point. Uh, you got to come down. I like to, referring to refer to that as living life from the inside out. And that comes with age, you know, learning, learning who you are, learning your gifts and, and talents. Uh, we carry so much baggage with us along along our life's journey, things that you as a parent couldn't help, David. <laughs> but uh, uh, they're here, and, and it's time for us to do that inner work, to get in touch with the real me, the reason why, um, I like to say, the reason why God made me up, uh, created me to be Jean in this wherever I land. And hopefully my antenna are up so that I'm ready to pay attention to what's here in front of me to make better choices. And um, I think we're all in a uh, position today to look at the choices that we make, to do that reflecting, and to to um, make sure that we're on our journey uh and not anyone else's, you know, that we have our life to live. And what a wonderful gift you've given to your children, David. Uh, we call that leaving a legacy. You, you um, are, are, you know, maybe they left home a long time ago um, and don't consider you a parent anymore. Uh, but uh, it's, it's time for us to, uh, I like to quote Bill, Dr. Bill Thomas, who's a, 
uh, gerontologist, and he wrote the book "What Are Old People For?" Uh, and he's he he's his uh, message right now is we have to leave adulthood and enter elderhood, and uh, that uh, this is a time for us to uh, to really continue to grow. But as as I said earlier, that growth is more on the inside out. Well, kind of building on the notion of leaving a legacy to the next generations, uh, and David, you kind of gave an example of that, but how, uh, you know, what are other ways uh, that uh, sages can engage people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, uh, that can help them imagine ways of preparing? When, uh, mentoring was very important to Reb Zaman. He talked to, talks about it lo- a lot in terms of sharing that wisdom with those. Uh, uh, there's a grandparenting. Maybe you can talk about the grandparenting workshop that uh, David's involved in. But it's it's not that we have all the answers, but that we learn from one another. We share our life experiences with one another. We uh, we share that and the lessons we've learned, and uh, hopefully that will have an impact on them. But there's uh, all there are many different ways that uh, sages can share their gifts and talents. Not everybody's going to be marching up and down Main Street with a placard uh, for their latest cause. But uh, in their neighborhoods, they can bring a covered dish to their neighbor who's who's just come home from the hospital. Or uh, I can't uh, stress the importance of being aware of what's right in front of us. Uh, those are the lessons that are coming at us, uh, I believe, from the universe, and that we need to pay attention to. Uh, and uh, David, maybe you could talk a little bit more about the different ways that we can um, share. So I think for, for me, um, I, and I've, I've said this to Jean, one of my focuses with saging uh, and, again, early development kind of ideas is, is how do I stay local? And, and I think Jean is even, even narrowing that field even more so in how do I stay present, which is a completely – uh, another invitation. Uh, so how do I stay local? How do I stay present um, as this work of saging unfolds in me? I, I do think, uh, and we're, there is a, a workshop that's coming up in the fall where we talk about grandparenting, though think more broadly and think granding, think about relationships that older adults have with younger people. And, you know, this can be from a baby that is just born to a, a young college student who's wondering if they're going to really buy into this this arc of development and progress and you know accomplishment that everyone has put in front of them. Um, so, ha- what about what are those relationships? What what are the if you drew a circle around yourself and do did a few layers, you've got perhaps your own children and grandchildren. In what ways are you going to? involve them in your journey of saging you know are you going to be present with them are you going to be present with them I, uh, 
I do something with my grandchildren. When we go on a walk, I follow them as opposed to them having to follow me. So in what ways can we be present with younger generations and be willing to simply not have the reins in our hands? And I think they learn from that. They learn lessons about love. They learn lessons about attention. They learn lessons about the spirit uh, that they can't learn any other way than us simply being present with them. Um, but then how do we create relationships with adolescents and others so that they see us as people that they might ask hard questions to and our responses will be couched with, well, here's what I'm thinking, but it's not gospel. It's not the bottom line. It's not the what you ought to do is. It's just what we're thinking. And then it's going to be their work to integrate that into their lives. I, I think the thing that saging offers is the, de- I'll say demand, maybe what, what you ought to do is, is we really ought to be intentional about that as opposed to being isolated, that aging, uh, you know, when Gene was talking about uh, in indigenous tribes where everyone knew their role, when you got older, you you were part of this wisdom circle that carried and cared for the culture, the planet, and everything else. Well, well, that wasn't really an option. That wasn't offered as a maybe if you want to, or you could just go play golf. Maybe there's a, a harder edge to some of this, and now you hear my Baptist roots coming in, a calling that says, you know, there's really a responsibility here, you know, to everyone from the child you're holding in front of you to the planet. And if we walk away from that, there are consequences to that. You might be fine. You may play your 18 holes and every day for the next 20, 30 years, and the world is just fine. It doesn't mean you will not have lost out on opportunities that would have been deeply holy and also perhaps just good for the broader community. Well, one of the um, things that struck me uh, in in reading the book um, was uh, Rabbi Zalman's idea that uh, saging is actually a next stage, not metaphorically, but actually a next stage in evolution, uh, the evolutionary process. Um, Thoughts on that? Well, what popped into my mind when you asked that question was human development. Um, You know, we've had Eric Erickson and, you know, different people uh, talk about the various stages of of life and development. And, you know, so many of us think that once we retire, it's all over. Or once we, we, um, life changes for us that, you know, why go on living? But the whole idea of like Reb Zaman says, if we have an extended lifespan and we don't have this expanded consciousness, then um, we are, in a sense, just dying right there. Life is over, or it, 
it's life. It will be just as, as it is now. And I mentioned earlier about those different paths you know, that we, we've, uh, the choices that we've made during our life. So if we only explore one path, there's that whole other path that hasn't been explored or that whole different uh, set of gifts that we have. We haven't even, we haven't even uh, imagined them. And here they are right within us. So uh, that's part, to me, that's part of evolution. It's becoming more. And um, I, I guess that's my, I remember in my, I was in my um, 30s, and I knew that my, we had to, I was in some class, and we had to draw a shield, and, and one of the questions that we had to draw a picture of on the shield was, uh, what, is your, what, is your life's, what is your life's goal? And my goal was to be fully who I, who I can be to reach my potential in, in all ways. And, um, you know, I think of that, that parable about the, uh, uh, the talents. And, <laughs> and uh, I guess, I David, I'm only thinking about it in terms of this children's storybook that I have. This artist went, went off to an an uh, art show, and he gave his children pieces of paper to draw on, and the one little boy um, hid his paper under his bed because he was afraid to um, ruin it. He didn't know what to do with it. And so I'm, I guess I'm always uh, uh, looking forward and thinking about, uh-oh, what are those, what's, what's blank on my page, or which page is blank that I need to fill up? So, You know, I, I was, as I was thinking about this issue and, and that caused me to kind of imagine this in a different way. A friend and I, I can't quote the article at all, but recalls reading uh, an article about uh, communities across the planet that uh, have active, vibrant generations, third generations who are nurturing children, uh, grandparents, but also it, this extended idea of just this third generation. And, and his point in sharing this was twofold. Number one, all of those, after you control for economics and all of the different things that we would think, oh, well, that's just an outcome of whether or not people have material possessions. If you control for all of that, people who have that third generation do better. The children do better. And his point was, well, yeah, that's important, but also that that it's inherently built within us. We're hardwired to need a third generation who brings a different kind of wisdom, a different kind of attention, a different kind of presence. And when we bring that to our children, they do better. Well, that, that feels like something biological, not like something just social. And I wonder, and, and his point was that we are made for this. And all of that demands stable communities. It demands communities that are intergenerational. It demands communities that are more local than scattered. Um, it maybe grieves some of the obstacles that are out there for those third generations because people are scattered. Their children live on the other side of the country, their grandchildren live on the other side of the country and those kinds of things. And, but maybe that is the same as a calling to become 
that grandparent who's not blood related, but who lives next door and who sees the children out in the yard, not as loud little curmudgeons that need to be quieter, but as opportunities to enhance the well-being of the planet in their, their backyard, literally. So those are the ways in which I think of, when I think of evolution of us being connected to something greater than ourselves. And yes, at some point that becomes kind of the next generation that'll inhabit the planet. Well, as a final question, uh, talk about uh, a sage in your own. Well, that would have to be my friend, Anne. She was in my life at a very uh, important time when my life as I knew it was completely falling apart. And all I could do was cry, (laughs) have pity parties and that sort of thing. And she guided me to a new way of perceiving life in all aspects, nature especially. looking, being able to see behind the eyes. Um, There's the, you know, what's right in front of you, but being able to see maybe the the meaning uh, behind what I'm seeing. Uh, The fact when something happens that's on the news or that you see that there's the person it's happening to, person who caused it, and the witness. And so uh, she just expanded my awareness and my consciousness, led me to different ways of belief uh, through books that we shared, um, through uh, her, her encouragement and support of me as I was going through this difficult time of my life. And I'm forever grateful for you know, there, there, there are so many, um, and maybe that's part of the humility when we reach this age that we should carry, that we got here because somebody was always carrying us along. We didn't get here on our own. Uh, but I, I think about Ethel Dent, who was a Sunday school teacher in the children's Sunday school department at First Baptist in Asheville. And Ethel, um, kind of a funny story, one night... Uh, in church, she looked at me, and we were just talking, and she said, well, you know, David, growing old is hard in that kind of southern brogue, and I said, yeah, Ethel, it is, but she had taught children's Sunday school for 50 years. She taught all of my children, and of wow. course, she taught them Bible verses yeah, and wow. things like that that are maybe important for our, our Baptist heritage, but more than that, she had shown up for five decades with children, embraced them, held them, nurtured them, said that your soul is important. And wow, that is yeah. that is wisdom being transferred, and not necessarily just religious wisdom about a particular faith background, but the way the world is welcoming you as a person uh, into safe spaces and growing spaces and enriching spaces and I wonder about how many people out there who are doing the same thing wherever their community is. 
uh, for these younger generations. I'm, so I'm grateful uh, for Ethel. Uh, and I'm also challenged by her to say, okay, you know, what, what's your role? You know, for her, it was teaching children Sunday school for 50 years. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be behind whatever I choose. <laughs> I'm going to be behind where she is. So anyway. Well, thank you so much uh, for giving us insight into this because as a aging person myself, I uh, am, am f- this is my first hearing uh, of, of this kind of thing. And so obviously uh, there are a lot of us uh, older people who, who have no notion of, of this path and this kind of process. Uh, so grateful uh, for your willingness to tell us about this, spend time today, uh, and giving us deeper insight into that. Thank you for being here. It's good Thank to you. be here. Well, you are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. The intro and outro music for this episode is from a clip of a song called Father Let Your Kingdom Come, which is found on the Porter's Gate Worship Project Work Songs album and is used by permission from the Porter's Gate Worship Project. This show has as its purpose enabling you to hear the voices of the Christian left and about the issues and concerns that are of interest to the Christian left. Practicing Gospel Inc. is a nonprofit organization. If you like what you've heard, go to my website at practicing-gospel.blubrry.net to subscribe and hopefully to donate. Your participation will help me continue this effort. Thank you for listening and for your support. Blessings. May the words from my mouth speak your peace.